Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we're joined by three special guests to talk with us about recruiting at startups. Please welcome Matt, Zach, and Chris. Can each of you give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? I'm Matt Stevenson. I lead recruiting at Shift. Uh, we are a startup focusing on peer-to-peer used car sales, which sounds super sexy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're a salesman for sure, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, my favorite happy hour beverage, uh, generally old fashions. Right on. Good choice. Uh, my name is Zach Skelly. I lead recruiting at a startup called Zero X. We are building a protocol for uh, the decentralized exchange of any tokenized assets that exist on the Ethereum blockchain. So some pretty interesting stuff. Happy to dig into more detail, but peer-to-peer exchange of assets on a blockchain. Um, prior to this, I led recruiting at a small YC analytics startup called Heap. Uh, before that, Chris and I worked together at Dropbox. And prior to that, all three of us worked together at Google for a little while. My name is Chris Lossing. I uh, I am in recruiting, engineering recruiting for a company called Plaid. Uh, we are a platform that actually powers a lot of uh, everyone's favorite fintech app. Everybody from uh, Coinbase, Robinhood, uh, a little bit of Stripe, and, and and a whole mess of others. Zach is all lies. I didn't work with him. I don't know who he is. It's the first time I met him. Uh, but actually, Matt was, uh, no, jokingly enough, Matt was my lead at Google. So I've learned everything from him. So anything I say poorly is a reflection on him. Just putting that out there. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, my favorite happy hour drink, uh, actually, I go for a really hard, like straight up lime LaCroix. Like <laughs> just neat, just you know, I get after it, but yeah, no, I, I don't drink. So that's, that's going to happen. I may have skipped my drink. Uh, I guess if I have to choose, I, I like a good sour beer from time to time. Um, there's a brewery in Berkeley called rare barrel that I'm quite fond of. There's another one in Portland called cascade that I like a lot, but sour beers. Very good. I like sour beers as well. All right. Uh, let's go around the table and give, uh, introductions to the panelists. Jem, you want to start off? Jem uh, Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. Stacy London, I'm a senior front end engineer at Atlassian. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Offer. 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 So if we say the word offer, we will all take a drink. All right, let's jump right in. In your opinions, what separates a good recruiter from a bad recruiter? I'll, I'll take that since uh, Jem has opinions. Jem what? I have an opinions. opinion. I usually wait till fifteen minutes in when people have a few more drinks and they're like more agreeable. So, random backstory that no one needs to know is that Matt actually reached out to me. Um, he sent me an email, as recruiters do, and it was a really good email. He, he took the time to actually look at my website and like say something personal about me before jumping into like what shift is and things like that. I'm like, I'm not looking to change careers right now. However, you're a good recruiter. Like we should like, let's talk more. We want to do an episode on like a recruiter. So, so far I'd say, Matt, you're a pretty solid recruiter from what I know. <laughs> he could be a murderer <laughs> for all I know. Like this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the, the, like the research that you do and the effort that, and the time that you put into it. Um, especially, I mean, this is, I think there's two ways to answer this question. Cause I think there's what makes a good recruiter at a big company and there's what makes a good recruiter at a small company. Uh, and that is something that I definitely find out in trying to search for more recruiters myself. Uh, it, it takes a lot to actually craft a good compelling message 
and build a personal relationship with somebody. Um, 99% of the time it is a long-term kind of relationship. Like this market, nobody's looking to like leave because of this like crazy passive message that I sent you. Uh, it, it more so is just like leaving breadcrumbs and you know, we'll turn back around later or it will get me introduced to somebody else that you know is looking or something like that. Right. So I can't assume that everybody's going to be like, Oh wow, this sounds amazing. Like I'm ready to leave my job for this. Um, that day I feel like ended in 2012. So, um, yeah, especially dealing with engineers, especially dealing with engineers. Yeah. And harder. So yeah, I talked to a lot of the engineers at our company, um, you know, in, in trying to find, uh, other recruiters. I'm like, you, you know, you must get hit up a lot. Like, what do you do with those messages? And they're like, I just archive them. I don't even read them. And I'm like, that's great. Like, this is perfect. That's like probably what's happening to 99% of my emails too. Like despite all the effort and like time that we put into them, like they're probably still going to the archives. Um, and so it's just like, it's just a realization to me. It's like, you do have to do something different to stick out. Um, like, you, you know, we always joke about this, like as well It's like, you can't just be like, Oh, I found out your profile on LinkedIn. Or like, I really like your experience in your background. <laughs> right. Like, and, and like, we get this all the time too. Like recruiters are also in high demand right now. And like the amount of terrible emails that we get on a regular basis is just mind blowing. And it just makes me like hate the fact that I have to be labeled as a recruiter because like, I'm not, I don't want to be associated like with this, like, <laughs> but then you can just be better. Like, I, be I mean, better, yeah. I, I love our recruiting team. There's one recruiter we've had on the past, Bianca Bordalusi, and she actually asks us like, send me the bad ones or send me the good ones uh, that you get reached out to. Like what compelled you to maybe respond? I'm like, that's a great way too. It's like, so that even with your engineers, like, are you getting these or like, are you responding? And we do. We have a private Slack group with me, Ryan and Bianca, where I share all of the bad recruiting right. and we laugh. Yeah. If you've ever sent me a bad recruiting email, I've laughed at you. Yeah. It's like so many mistakes too. Like, honestly, we've got spell check. It's just use that, please. <laughs> and there's like a fine line between like standing out from like those emails and also just being like obnoxious. Like there's an email or one of them I got my favorite one of all time I think was had a subject line that said are you the Beyonce of JavaScript oh <laughs> I was like what wait I got something like that except is are you the Steph Curry of JavaScript uh, uh -oh. I've seen I think this wow. template before oh, oh I knew it was a template yeah. I knew it was yes. a template yeah, oh. yeah. yeah. Do you like basketball? Do you like JavaScript? <laughs> I, I love what you said about long-term versus short-term. I, I feel like in today's market, so much is short-term. It's just like, I need to get paid this month, so let me just mass email everybody versus let's build a relationship. So maybe in a year, when I'm looking again, I'll think about this person, but no one ever thinks like that. It's always like, now, 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 now. Not interested? Okay, bye. Right. I, I have a rolled fill. I have a rolled fill, right? I feel like it can pay dividends in terms of like other people they might know too, or even other related asks. Um, I often try to you know, in the course of building a relationship, tell people that I'm happy to help them out however I can. And we end up connecting on lots of different things aside from just this opportunity that I'm trying to offer. So I Cheers. do agree. Cheers. I, I think for me, and, and this is a big reason why I think Matt and Zach and I really connected was uh, this thing that I've coined that I've stole somewhere. So if anyone's out there listening, please don't sue me, uh, is the thing called like tactical empathy, right? And the big thing that I realized with Matt when I was, uh, under him and he was my lead is that he cared, right? It, it wasn't a sense of like, I'm the best recruiter. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to negotiate and I'm going to fight and all these things. It was just, that he literally cared about the quality of his work. And then this something turned in, turned on in me i can't remember where exactly i think it, it was dropbox where i became friends with engineering managers i supported i became friends with the people that i hired and then it became one of these things where like hey i was responsible for really making sure that their teams are set up for success and i really wanted and cared 
uh, to build, I think, uh, something that I knew that, hey, this is my, I see the stress on their faces. I know what they're going through in the sprints. I understand how hard these things are. And just knowing like, hey, I put my best foot forward so then they can too. Um, And it, it just turned into this thing where it's like, I care about my work. I care about the organizations that I build, the teams that I support, the people that I bring in. Uh, and, and that's just reflected in, I think, everything you do, right? And this sense of tactical empathy, I've, it really is like putting myself in the position of you getting that email or maybe Matt sending it. Like just understanding like this person across the stream for me is a person. And just like if I send hey, do you like Java? I like Java. Like those emails, it's just not going to hit. And it's, it's, it's way more important to understand. Like I think so a good recruiter versus a bad recruiter is just, I think having some kind of empathy for people and then obviously caring no matter which way you, you know, you want to care about something. It's, you know, whatever it is, just caring, just caring about the work that you do. And uh, I think recruiting gets a bad name, but I think it's a really important job uh, considering the fact that I think the most important resource a lot of companies have today is, is people, right? And, and we are the, I like the care, I don't know, I'm blanking on a word here, but like we are, I think the forefront of that. So, uh, I'm going to get off my soapbox at the moment. Th- this podcast is all about rants. <laughs> yeah. Mostly mine, but you're welcome to join in. At any I was, time. they were telling me that I shouldn't come cause I'll just ramble. <laughs> <laughs> we have editing rights. Okay. <laughs> all this carrying stuff. I completely agree. I think it's, and even having the relationship with the hiring manager, I think is super important. That's where I've seen very successful recruiting and hiring manager. It's like a partnership. But I'm curious too, as we talked about these reach outs and, and putting this effort in, do you get, how do you get creative? How do you get someone to not archive the email? Like, what are you doing? Are you playing with like subject lines? Are you doing some research like before to say like, Hey, Jem, I, I hear you're a tall guy. I'm like, you know, feel your pain and he like, gives airplanes good bear hugs, and, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, like, are there some things that you tend to like lean on to try and get someone's attention because it's not easy yeah it's uh it's the only reason i still have a facebook profile actually is like for uh for due diligence of uh stalking <laughs> um yeah generally for me it starts with like you know there's a linkedin profile out there which is kind of your digital resume or footprint um the best people don't have linkedin and so you're trying to find other places right and so sometimes that's cross-referencing you know github it, i mean i think a lot of recruiters will say oh github is like where i find like, a lot of people is like there's limited information i can get from github um, i don't have anything in github yeah a I lot of people and, don't and a lot of people are like oh yeah i can go through like the repositories and see if they're good it's like no like every time i've ever asked an engineer to check this guy's code they're like i don't understand the context and i this doesn't give me anything right so like you really can't find out much signal from github but like at least it shows like are they passionate in the community and maybe you can mention something about that if it ties back to what you have to offer um there is facebook there is instagram um then you can mention something about like oh like i see like the travel like you know our head of engineering is just there a couple of months ago or something like something relevant to where it's like oh cool like there's a culture here or I like that you're making the connection too. Like it's like, oh, our head of engineering was just in Dubai. I saw you were in Dubai. Yeah, Yeah. that's pretty cool. It's always like you're just trying to find something that's not just like, hey, like we're we're a used car marketplace. (laughs) Um, They're like in every one of these outreach emails, though, and I hate to break it to you, there's template in there, right? Like there's definitely like I'm not going to sit there and try to like pitch shift in in a bunch of creative ways. Like there's going to be some boilerplate in there, but like usually the first line has to be just like something completely custom to try to grab the attention. 
Yeah, with regards to GitHub, I feel like a lot of recruiters, and I could be wrong, but they may just focus on things like number of stars and forks without kind of the context. And I think, yeah, you actually miss out on the wrong types of people too. There is a lot of great engineers that have a lot of open source work that yes, you can find those people, but then there are a lot of people who are working at companies and they're just like, I'm not contributing to open source and they're like, I'm busy and doing my job. And so then you miss out on all these other people as well. Yeah. Open source is sort of unfriendly to women and minorities. And yeah, so sometimes it's not very friendly. So you avoid it for your safety. <laughs> Soapbox. <laughs> I think open source can be one good data point, but that's essentially it for me. It's a data point alongside what might be many others to indicate what a good profile could potentially look like. Going back to the question though, because that just actually brought up something that Zach is amazing at and what makes a great recruiter is listening. And I think once you, once you do get somebody who's engaged on the phone or even maybe they are passive, but like, it is a matter of listening and understanding, right? Because I think the, what the bad recruiters will do, they'll act like they're listening or maybe they will listen to you on the phone, but then they're going to hang up the phone and they're just going to do like what everybody else would do, which is just shotgun you to a bunch of, like if you're an agency, shotgun you to a bunch of companies um, or just like put you forward for something that just is not a good fit or like for with, with what you just said. And I think that the best people can listen, understand that there is a fit here, sell that fit or just at least like back it up um, through like whether it's data points or like project matches and things like that uh, and, and move forward with your best, best interest in mind. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of recruiters out there who are just like in such a rush to just like meet their numbers or hit their targets or like whatever it might be that like the whole care for the candidate and like listening to like what might be best for them is like totally thrown out the window. And again, I, I think in a startup in a smaller company, like the number one thing you can do is make sure that you're placing people in the company who are going to succeed. Uh, because if you don't like that can bring the entire company down or the culture down for until you get rid of them or until they leave. Right. And so, and then it's not really, then you end up back to square one. You're square one. Yeah. Again. You're back. Yeah. I want to be incrementally filling, not backfilling. Yeah. Right. Tactical empathy, copyright, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coded. So I, I've been on the phone with uh, recruiters before. Just because like, I like to hear what people are working on. If they have any interesting ideas. And in my mind, I time it. And it's like, if we have a 15 minute or 30 minute conversation, how much time was I speaking? How much time are you speaking? And it's almost, I have like maybe two minutes in there. And the rest is all them like, snowballing me with information that I don't necessarily need at this stage of the game, but it tells me a lot about like what they think of me and what they think and like how they treat recruiting. It's just like, you are a butt, here's a seat. Would you like to take it? Versus like, you're an individual who has tastes and like dislikes and passions and all these things and like treat me that way. Very few people do that. Yeah. And it's just like, I can't continue your conversation with people like that. Do people, do recruiters leave you time to ask questions? No. Oh, that's not good. Almost either. never. Almost. Yeah. Like I always think that's super important. I don't know how each of you feel, but I think that's super important is like really giving time because you're also, you're trying to pitch the role to someone. And oftentimes a lot of it is just letting them ask the questions and answering the questions because they're going to tell you what they care about. Like they're going to tell like, oh, I want to work at scale. Like, how's the scale there? Or what's your technologies that you're working on? Okay, well, that person cares about the technologies that they're working on. What's the team dynamic? Okay, well, that, you know, it, it just helps really, you're pretty much pitching the role to them by answering questions. The funny thing you say about that is that I will tell everyone that I'm like training or onboarding, or even if I'm just kind of being mindful about it and trying to follow that 70, 30, 80, 20 rule where, you know, someone else is talking. And if I find myself talking way more on that call, I know, oh gosh, this is not going well. Like I am struggling right now to make a connection. One other general thing that I think is helpful for a recruiter to think about is setting the right expectations. I feel like on initial calls, you can even set expectations up front around this stuff. Like, hey, you know, 
I don't have too much of an agenda, but I'm happy to answer specific questions you might have about us or just kind of give you a general overview of what we're up to. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you're interested in. Um, you know, are there any specific things like you're hoping to kind of like learn in this call? Getting that information up front can encourage a better conversation, I feel like sometimes. Question out to the kind of the group is just like, what's a, what are good questions I think to kind of invoke or, or maybe just start a conversation, right? Like what's a good question to kind of open it up? Cause this is sometimes I struggle on the phone. It's like, okay. I'll set expectations or we'll kind of have like a warm kind of intro. And then it's like, what are good questions you've been asked in the past that just make you feel like, oh, this person generally cares about me and wants to learn more, right? Then the standard like, hey, what are you doing? What's your team doing? What are you working on? Like, are there any other questions that you've gotten in the past that just goes like, hmm, okay, like this is interesting. And it opens up that dialogue, right? Because I think sometimes really I'm just trying to figure out a way to just, hey, open up. Once again, tactical empathy, really listen and learn more about, you know, are you a right fit? Actually, I'm like, cause I'm on my side, I'm thinking, hmm, okay, right? Is this actually gonna be something? Is this actually gonna be something we can carry on to maybe another conversation down the road? But once again, rambling a little bit on the question, what are, what are good, uh, I guess I would call them conversational, conversation starters from recruiters and that you, you would ask? Not gonna lie, I do like the like, what am I working on? Like that's a great starter because it also tells me, are you listening? And like, what can you leverage out of that conversation? So if you're the recruiter talking to me and I'm like, well, so what are you working on? And I can talk about that. Then you can maybe relate it back to your role or we can have a conversation. It kind of speaks to the listening aspect um, that Matt was saying. But another one I've actually had right off the bat that I kind of liked was what am I interested in the next role or what challenges am I looking for? To, what other kind of things are important yeah, to you? It wasn't even specific that they were trying to sell me on that particular role. It was more like like the challenges that what are challenges that you like excite you and that could be in my current role and, and I think it was just kind of an interesting concept that you know got me outside of the like typical question an interesting question that pulls out something of like maybe why you're maybe either not happy at your current role or would be exciting in a different role is like if there's something that you're working on um, on your product but maybe you would like to work on some something else like some other feature but it's not on the roadmap like what is what are you excited about on the product that you're currently working on but you know it's never going to happen and <laughs> and why like because i think that's a really fascinating question because then you find out more about like the current work structure that is in place for that person what they're excited about what they they're obviously passionate enough to have a, an answer to that question and like you know maybe there's a disconnect between the company and what they want to work on something like that i think is kind of interesting I think there's a technical component to it, which is really cool to dig into. Um, and often there's a non-technical component to it. Like I'll, I'll like to ask, you know, even aside from the project that you might end up working on, like, is there other stuff that you really care about? And often people will talk about work-life balance or culture or diversity or whatever else it might be. And it's kind of a nice opportunity to dive in and highlight other things that they care about too, beyond just the technical aspects. So no, I totally agree with Stacey and what you're passionate about. I think if you're good at what you do, then that's an easy question. Like we didn't all make senior engineer, senior, whatever level we're at by just like sitting on our butts. And there's something that like drives us. And for someone to take the time to find out what that is, like right there, I'm going to like knock that person up a few notches. I was like, well, they actually care about me. And maybe I don't care about working at their company, but like I will keep this person in mind in the future. And maybe refer someone else. Cause you're like, Absolutely. wow, that was a good person. That company sounds cool. Not right for me right now, but yes, it, it does kind of help build those connections. Like you guys talked about, I have an interesting question for you guys. And this is something that often gets thrown out. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this too. Should engineers or someone that you're speaking to, if you ask them their salary and their current expectations, like, should they tell you that? I have thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a good one. Like, yeah. Isn't it against the law? 
It is against the law. In California, it is against the law to ask their current salary. There are loopholes in that. Yeah. But it's more on the fact is, should they offer this, I guess, is the better question. It's not against the law to ask what their expectations are. This is actually something I'd pinged them on Slack earlier. Uh, was we because one of our friends was recruiting for recruiters and is like, "Hey, join my company," and uh, I had recently just gotten a reach out that was along the lines of without knowing nothing about you know nothing about my background other than the fact that I've worked at Google and I now work in a startup. Hey, come here. We can offer you um, way more impact and a sizable salary increase. And like I'm like you know nothing about me, right? Like so who am I not to say that like I make X and I really would love a sizable increase in that and like just totally anchor a false number. And so like I feel like well first of all, I don't ever ask compensation questions in the first chat with somebody. Like I I, I in the valley right now, uh, I feel like either engineers or any other role, like you kind of know where you're at relative to market or you should. And if somebody is at the higher end of that and it's very important to them, they will bring it up themselves. Uh, I usually don't let it get in the way of my first conversation because I think that um, more and more like we'll, we'll relatively be like on par. Um, and again, there's got, there's gotta be certain like things that you'd be willing to trade off when talking to a startup versus a bigger company. Right. And like how important is equity to you? How important is a bonus structure to you? How important is a base salary to you? Uh, and again, like listening to a candidate's like kind of needs. So there's been a lot of candidates that I just have not been able to move forward with because like they value cash and like at a early stage startup, I am not going to bring the cash, you know? And so no, you're betting on the like, expect- you, you, gotta, or, yeah, you know, right. there's the equity there right. that could be very, very powerful. Right. And so I think that, um, I, yeah, it's not something I actually like to get on the first call. Um, and so if, if people dis- disclose it, it's generally because, um, it's a, it's a major factor for them. They don't want to waste um, anyone's time. They don't waste, yeah. They want, don't want to waste anybody's time. Um, or it's just like, it is one of those, like when you ask like, what's most important to you in your job search, uh, if comp is number one, then like it's noted that like, I, I'm going to be up against like the highest bidder. Right. And as a recruiter, it's kind of like, it's not very uh, comforting, but you know, it, I, I know that. Yeah, I agree. I think timing is important. And to be totally honest, if I was advising a friend on this, um, my general advice would be like, no, don't necessarily share what your compensation is up front. Um, I think it's totally fair to ask for a company to pay you what they think you're worth. Mm-hmm. And if for some reason that offer is not in line with what you're expecting and you have good reasons and data to show why, you should feel comfortable bringing that to them and having a conversation about it. Um, I will say though, as a recruiter, I have asked what people's expectations are. And I think the reason that it's useful for me to do this in many cases is again, around expectations. If, if someone comes back to me and says, I want to get paid $280,000 and I know I'm not going to be able to do that. Sometimes it can be very helpful in that initial call before I actually give them the numbers to say like, Hey, that's just outside of the realm of reason. And here's why. Um, but I, I think you have to be careful with that because there are some recruiters out there who may use that as an anchor. They might be thinking like, Oh, you know, this person is worth N dollars in my head. And that person comes back and gives something that's significantly lower than that. And they'll kind of just give like a little bump on top of whatever the candidate requested. So my, my general advice would be like, no, um, don't share it. But as a recruiter, I may ask, and I'll be happy if you don't share it with me, to be honest. I respect your honesty on that though. Yeah. I, I do want to say though, like, don't hate the recruiter if they do ask for expectations. I don't sure. think, I don't think everybody I don't out think there that's is, a bad thing. Yeah. Like even to your point is that it's like, 
it sets the tone in conversation. And if you can't make it or you can't speak to the cash offer at a startup, you're going to say, okay, well, we can't give you that cash, but we can give you all this equity. And this is why I think it's really, it's an investment in the sense that do you think this company can be worth something someday? And being able to speak to that can be a really good conversation starter. And maybe the person is open to that. Maybe they're not. Like there, you could be trying to get someone from Google who's making a bigger cash offer. And they're like, yeah, I can't, I can't move on that because that's my expectation. Yeah. And I, th- I think certain people value certain things differently. Like you can also go ask, you know, like, do you, what, what's your risk tolerance? Like, do you have a preference towards salary or equity or, and kind of, are, are there other intangibles that you really value? Um, some recommended reading on this, if anybody wants to dig a little bit deeper into it. Um, I'm really close friends with a woman named Aileen Lerner, who's the CEO at Interviewing IO. She just like a couple days ago wrote a blog post on this um, and referenced another very long, like what I would call like a compensation negotiation Bible, which was written by this guy named Patrick McKenzie, um, also known as Patio 11 on Hacker News. He's a pretty prolific commenter there. Um, he wrote a lot about this. And if you're curious, it's definitely worth checking out. That's, that's my broad thoughts. So we've been talking about ways that recruiters can maybe, you know, emphasize or get creative to try and get a uh, response. How can candidates, uh, engineers stand out to a recruiter who is looking for the right people? We've talked about LinkedIn. Uh, I'm a huge fan is like just to have a LinkedIn profile. That's to me is like better than a resume. But I'm interested to know like GitHub, Twitter, Instagram, portfolios. What are things that you're looking for even the fact that there exists, but what are things that you're looking to stand out for an engineer? Wait, I have a funnier question. We can answer that second. What is the worst ways people have tried to get your attention? Like what's the most <laughs> annoying, like a VHS cassette tape of like wait, wait. your resume? I, you know what's one? I'm going to speak to a LinkedIn profile photo, shirtless engineer male flexing muscles. No. Oh no. I saw it. I ignored it very quickly. People know it's a professional network, right? Like, I mean, just like, so he's just professionally showing his uh, muscles. See yeah. a uh, professional. But he's not. Dancer. He was an engineer. <laughs> and that was inbound to you, trying to get your attention. Uh, I think I came across it. So to be fair, I just you know. Wait, wait. What if it. he worked for a weight loss startup and he's really proud of all of the weight he's lost? He built a fitness app. Yeah, yeah, like a fitness app. I don't, I, I'm kidding. Like, I don't believe it was it. So. <laughs> in the interest section of a candidate's resume one time, put all their uh, personal records for their Olympic lifts, which I kind of appreciated. That's kind of cool, actually. It caught your attention. Caught my attention. Yeah. I think this is actually going to differ depending on the company and the kind of role and the stage. Different companies look for different things for different roles at different stages. That said, I I, I tend to think of things in terms of data points. Like uh, you can have some really strong data points. And if you do, then I might not care if you have some of these other things. But in general, I would say... And this probably isn't exhaustive, but things that I really like to see in kind of deciding whether I might move forward with someone from just looking at their resume or their LinkedIn. Um, I think if they've been part of an engineering network that I or we respect, like part of a team that's known to be good at a good company or a solid degree or a solid engineering program, like that's great. That can be one good data point. Um, Then again, like I've talked to some really brilliant self-taught engineers. And again, like that's, again, just a data point. If somebody has really seen something scale, I find that to be kind of interesting. Like if they were an early employee or a founder or an early team member, I think some recruiters look at things like career trajectory too. Like if you've been at a company for five years, you know, how has your career evolved over those five years there? I do think cool open source work can be another interesting data point. This might be a little bit subjective, but like has someone worked on something that's particularly technically complex? And if so, like 
what degree of ownership did they have over that thing? Um, I think that can be a really interesting thing to kind of consider. How would you judge technically complex? Because that's something that... Totally subjective, yeah. I guess. Um, and often, if, if I have a sense that something might be interesting in that vein, I might loop in an engineer who I trust to kind of like dig deeper into the project and give me a little bit of a sense if I have to. Um, but, you know, if, if they built an entire distributed system and they were like the architect for this and it's like some really complex sharded Postgres thing with, you know, just distributed query infrastructure, like, um, and this probably sounds dumb. I don't want to sound lame. And you're nailing it. Engineering knowledge. Throw in Kubernetes and Zookeeper and you're just like, containerization. You know, thing Java. Yeah, exactly. I know Java version seven. I think those are all data points. Again, like another simple thing could be like, if somebody who I trust recommends that person, whether they're internally or externally, that could be enough for me to want to talk to somebody. Um, so yeah, and, and again, I think different companies care about different things. Our audience is global. There are people around the world that have listened to the show. There are lots of people who are not at one of the big tech companies, did not go to an Ivy League. Uh, so from that perspective, like what is the best chance of getting them who may be really good engineers for you to run across their their profile or whatever and like get a reach out or I'll answer the first question you had about like what's a way thank you not to get, so uh, <laughs> just as much as you hate getting templated emails right about like hey come work for me in this company recruiters get oftentimes LinkedIn messages from candidates that are for sure templates like hello I'm a recent grad from this university please hire me like it just is like that is an automatic like look you did not take even one second of the time to just look at the company let me know that hey if i'm going to spend time com like having a conversation with you like i know it's not just a hey throw it out there it, it i understand from the job seeking perspective i did career services in the past so it's like it is a numbers game more applications you get out there the, the more you do but there is something to say like hey taking a little bit of care and pride in where you want to go and work it's like why why, why? did i choose to reach out to it, you at this company just same it's a reverse like, and i, I totally see it is. from there in I, I i totally respect that that hustle to answer the second question of somebody who doesn't come from uh i think the normal channels that i think a lot of like big companies are starting to look at um i actually uh literally just a day ago uh applicants at plaid can apply via an api and my founder slacked me he's like this dude just took a picture, put it on Twitter, and he's applying to the API and just wrote this whole thing about, hey, this is awesome. I'm applying. And we got his application in and like he tweeted at us and we looked at it. We called him on the spot and, you know, he's he's in the mix. Right. And he's not from one of these major universities. But uh, I think the 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 one check that's not a I think it's not the uh, fairy tale stories. Like I did a conversation with him and I listened to him like really, Hey, I love what you guys do. You guys done this, you did this. He had so much information that I was like, look, I, I'm like you and me, we're going together. Like we are taking this trip together. I'm going to see you right through it. Right Let's to the go. offer. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> cheers. Uh, and cheers. Cheers. And I think that carries through beyond just getting your foot in the door. Like if you're passionate and you know a lot about the company that you're applying to and you're asking good questions, like people respect this. He backed it up, right? That's the thing that I'm trying to say is like, I think he's like, okay, he did all this. He did all this. Like we have, uh, I think for our organization at this point in time, we're very sensitive to every media outlet that we have. We're sensitive to every channel we have. We understand that people come from different backgrounds. So we're a little bit more 
uh, empathetic in terms of like how we look at these things. Uh, some other companies not might work, but for us, literally co-founder just is like, you need to email this person, talk to this person right now. Right. And like we're, and then just, he backed it up. Like he backed it up in the conversation. It, it was almost like he was prepared for that moment of like having that conversation. And then he spoke to, he had a 30 minute conversation with another engineering manager and engineering manager loved him. And like, we're like, we're his advocate now. Like we, we want to see him, uh, really try to make it through the process and it's fair as much as we can. It's objective subject, like the whole interviewing question, uh, topic I won't get into, but yeah, we, we really, that, that's one way to stand out. Right. So back it up, right. If you're going to say you're going to go off these things, back it up, please don't send me an email that, you know, Kubernetes Java seven. <laughs> Cause I don't know. I don't know uh, these things. For me, it's an impact and ownership really. It's, it's what did you do and can you explain that in an articulate way? Right. Or can you communicate that clearly? And, uh, even from like first call, like, I mean, Zach is way more technical than I am. And so like my technical knowledge will run out pretty quickly. Like I, I can, I can hang there for a little bit. And if somebody can clearly communicate what they did, the impact that it had, like, how it affected the business. Like to me, those are all like really great things. And if you can do that in a way where, um, it's just like, it's simple, it's short and just like very metrics driven. And there's like, there's a high degree of ownership there. Like to me, there's just like, okay, like I don't care what school you went to. Like it, it well, a, like it takes, uh, it takes a good engineer to communicate that way. And then also like, you can obviously tell like this person is a leader on their team. And so, uh, and you can do that. Like, I think especially like even like recruiting resumes, even for example, it's like, what did you do and what impact did you have? Like, I don't care that you threw a sourcing party and like invited all your engineers to come like eat pizza and drink beer and give you names, right? Like what did you do? Right. What impact did you have on the business? And so like it, it translates across the board, whether you're an engineer, uh, a biz ops, you know, a strategy consultant, like it, 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 all of these things, it, it matters. I, I love the, what impact did you have on the business? Cause like, if you can't answer that, then like, what the hell are you doing? Like if you're just building forms or like putting data entry, then like, why would I hire you? And to that work could be me? actually very impactful though, is like you build forms that are like very impactful, but I hope to, that you're understanding why you're creating what you're creating. And I think that to me is the most impactful. Piece. That's the biggest failing I see of a lot of people, um, particularly outside the United States where engineering is not like held in such high degree. Uh, it's people that are just, Oh yeah, I did this thing and I'm good at Java and I'm good at PHP and I could do some SQL too. I'm like, cool. Like, what are you, what are you passionate about? Like, what did you do for your last business? Well, I built this thing and it's awesome. And it's just like, it, it's a different mindset about like, I don't want to work with that person. You I want to work with someone yourself. who's like, you do yeah, have to sell yourself. You do. You really do. You just need to think of yourself as like, I am more than an engineer. I'm like this, this game changer that they brought me into the business. I did this thing and it may be tiny, but I'm proud of it. I, I like, I made a pattern library in CSS. It's one file. But it's a game changer because like, here's why. And even if it's small, like you should be able to own that yeah. and speak to that. Yeah. It's the why. Exactly. So sure I think it's it the why. Because all of that stuff on your resume is fair game in an interview. Sure. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, this got you in the door. So now let's say we've made it past the interview. Everything's all good. We're down to the offer stage. Cheers. 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 <laughs> there's been this meme that's kind of out there that people shouldn't negotiate salaries. I've seen this a few times. Um, I think Stacy's brought this up with like, uh, especially new college grads and like someone from a boot camp that they should just almost take the first offer and, and just go. How, how do you each see that is like, should there be a back and forth on negotiation? How should that work? I would highly advise, and this is my personal opinion, but I highly advise anybody making decisions purely on compensation. 
like you can go, I mean, there's going to be plenty of companies that are going to pay you a lot more, but yep. like make sure that you're sticking to the kind of list of criteria that you set out for and make sure that all of your boxes are checked because you can, it's, and it, I see this time and time again with candidates like, all right, like you want a small company, you want to have impact, you want to have ownership. Like we've demonstrated to you, all of these three things are met. What is hesitating? Like, what is your hesitation from signing this offer right now? Oh, X company just came in and offered me 50 K more. It's like, that's great. You mentioned compensation not being, you know, it, it's always going to be some sort of a tiebreaker. Um, but if you're making decisions based purely on compensation, I don't think you're approaching your job search correctly. I don't disagree. I think compensation is important, but it shouldn't be a driver. I, I always look like all those things, like what are my challenges? What is the impact? Where's the growth? All the areas that I want to focus in. Yes, compensation matters, but I've often taken jobs. Actually, I'll even talk to the Netflix job. So I took the Netflix role, not really caring what the compensation was. It was more what, as long as I'm getting paid the same as I was previously getting paid, I'm not that concerned. I took it because of all the things that we were doing at Netflix and that I wanted to be a part of. And that was the interesting part. Yes, if you feel undervalued, that could be a showstopper. Like if they were like, we're going to pay you half of what you currently make, that's a deal breaker. That's a really tough one to, to choke down. But I agree with you on the salary. It shouldn't be a, a driver. So I'll push back a little because there are people that I know for a fact have gotten screwed because they just didn't negotiate. They took, they were moving from a state or just somewhere else in the world where they got paid less and the company took advantage of that by paying them like, a lot, but not a lot for the Bay Area. Um, recently, when my friend interviewed for a company, I won't say which company because shame on them. They're offering like 90K for someone with like seven years of data science experience, which in the Bay Area, I know it sounds like a lot to the rest of the world, but in the Bay Area, that's like insulting. And they're like, I don't know if I should take it or not. And I'm like, no, like you're worth way more than that. And like, screw that company for offering that. So, I don't know. I, I agree. It shouldn't be all about money. And I wouldn't want to work with someone. But I think it comes money. down to actually what we talked about earlier is getting the data points yeah, and knowing your right, work. Right, it's right. like, is, so you should feel comfortable that yes, we're on the same page. If they're completely off base, then yeah, like that's a, that's a game changer right there. So on, on that token though, there's a lot of like faith we put in recruiters, especially if you're not familiar with the Bay area or the salaries or anywhere else in like Seattle or New York, something like that. We have to put trust that you all are making us a fair offer based on our top market or like what you can afford. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because, again, it's that personal relationship that you really have to trust this person because you're literally changing the course of their lives. That was the impetus for the, the my, my question was that I've, I've talked to people that are new, they've just graduated or they came out of a boot camp and they actually don't have a, a good sense of like, they've done some research, they kind of know the data points of like what's a fair salary, but they were told by you know, a recruiter from a company um, oh, this is, you know, what, what the offer is. Cheers. But like, <laughs> but we, we won't negotiate. You can't negotiate it. It's, it's like not negotiable. And I, and I, and I, and they were like, and then that's what I went with. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I think it's always negotiable. And you, you know, you should, probably should have tried a little bit just because it's this, this area is very expensive and maybe what they were offering you wasn't necessarily totally fair. So I felt bad for them not understanding that and then just taking at face value what the recruiter told them. Yeah, I think, you know, you're, you're touching on a key point that I think any good recruiter has to overcome, right? Is this sense of there's, there's just a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of bad advice. And, you know, you touched on the major point of, 
Uh, I think for me with the whole, do you ask comp in the beginning expectations it, and more of a personal note for me, it's just building trust, right? Is this, if I'm going, it's such a taboo, hard topic to start negotiating. Right. And so it's just figuring out like, okay, can we talk about this in the first call? Like they really good advice. If someone's really cares about it, they'll bring it up in, in at the point. But at some point, like I'm setting expectation, like, after the onsite, we're going to sit down and have this conversation and I'm going to make it easy, right? It's just really building that trust. So to answer the question coming up is we're overcoming a lot of this negativity that comes with the recruiters. They want to come up on me. I'm going to anchor low. They're going to come lower. Like it's just, there's a lot of stuff that we're just trying, like really good recruiters are just trying to get past. Um, and my direct answer to your question, should you negotiate? Uh, I think it really is not a one size fits all answer. It's do you trust that recruiter? Right. And if it's, do you, I mean, you can do in like, just look at the company that you're interviewing with, read the reviews. Sometimes it's fake. Sometimes yes, it's true. And just realize like this situation I can negotiate, right? I feel like, Hey, Matt, Zach, two great people. We vibe the whole way. Everything they said happened. It's true. They have nothing but shown, uh, I think respect for me as a candidate. And also like everything they said has been, you know, the right thing. Like, right. They said this, this happened. There's a lot of trust there. I can, you should feel comfortable in that sense. Right. Uh, cause there have been negotiations that I've experienced where it's broken down, right? Like literally I feel like, Hey, we've been same thing with Matt, right? You said X, you said Z, you said Y, everything is delivered. Like, Hey, we're on the table, we're on up and up. And then when it comes to negotiation, like this change happens and it's just like, it throws even recruiting for a loop. And we're like, man, what did I, what did, what did I do to make you feel like this? Like this shouldn't be the case. So the answer to the question and I'm pontificating and rambling, uh, is it's case by case. Uh, you should feel like you have a relationship with the recruiter. If there's trust, I think you can push back. I think there's more than enough resources for anybody to go out there and look at. I'm with you. Uh, if, if I'm like actually negotiating for a friend, I tell them <laughs> this is going to be so bad. Uh, <laughs> if I'm negotiating for a friend, I, uh, I do have them shop offers. I have them go and get another offer, right? I have them go get an offer and, and have an anchor point, right? Because that way, ah, I'm like over here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Three times. There. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Get you guys drunk. Um, no, I, I think it's just like, look, if you don't know what your market value is, go find it. Right? So on that, on that topic, what is everybody's take on exploding offers? And for those who don't know, it's an offer that hey, we're going to pay you X, but you need to respond by Friday or next week or something like that. We have a pipeline review every Tuesday. And uh, it's funny because today was literally an hour of us re-strategizing the way we think offers. Because I know, I and mean, at least I advise everybody, like deadlines, in, especially in Silicon Valley, deadlines are bullshit, right? Like there's no freaking way that a company is going to pull an offer because you couldn't make a decision in time. The only case that could happen is if there's one headcount left. Yeah. And if there's two offers out and one headcount accepts, there's not another head for the other person and we have to pull that offer. But if you're one of many software engineering roles, which like I think every tech company in the Valley has infinite of, like there's no freaking way that like after three days, if you can't make your decision in time, they're going to pull their offer. Like you have every right to do what's fully best for you. Uh, it's a life-changing decision. Uh, like, and this is where I come in like, again, like with this, like not like hassle-free kind of recruiting policy where it's just like, look, I'm never going to twist your arm to accept this offer because I need to know that this is right for you. Right. If I, if I twist your arm, you come here and you're not happy. Like I'll take that personally. 
it's not gonna be good for the team. It's not gonna be good for the company, right? Like, let's not do that. Um, yeah, so I feel like for me, it's more like, hey, we are gonna make you an offer. Now it's your turn to kind of like interview us, right? Cheers. And, oh, Cheers. Cheers. So many. Interviews today are very much a stressful situation where candidates are trying to evaluate you just as much as we're trying to evaluate the candidate, right? And so there's this like kind of tense, like, did I get a good enough read? And so what I like to do is say, hey, we want to make you an offer. Cheers. And <laughs> You're killing me, man. A refill soon. And we'll get to a point where now we want you to tell us what you need in order to like have all of your questions answered and all your data points figured out. So we're like, you know, this is the best opportunity for yourself. And so for me, I, I say, go interview multiple places, like get three offers and like make sure you're laying them down at the same time and looking at what's most important to you. And if, you know, we need to talk then, let's talk then. I, I don't mind the deadline because I think there's a bit of a balance of, yeah, like this shouldn't drag on forever. Right. Right. But at the same time, you've built that trust with your recruiting partner and saying, hey, I actually need a bit longer. No, no recruiter is going to be like, no. It's three days. That's max. Like, so I think it, it kind of goes back to negotiating or whatever you want to call it. It's just be upfront with that. Be open yeah. and honest. I'm going away for this weekend. I would like to think a little bit longer. Can I get back to you on Wednesday instead of Monday? No one's going to be like unrealistic on that. So I, I like the idea of like putting a time box to it, but also being both on the same page. I also think a recruiter can do a lot about again, setting expectations up front. Like a, a lot of the times if I'll talk to a candidate and it's an initial call and I, I know they're interested in interviewing, I might ask them like, hey, do you have a general sense of kind of what your interviewing time frame looks like from here? Like, do you know when you hope to decide on what your next job might be? And then I'll kind of lay out what our interviewing process looks like, maybe about how long it typically takes us between each stage. And we're kind of staying on the same page the whole way along. And, and you know, when, it times to, when time comes to give someone an offer, um, I'll just kind of double click on this and say like, hey, you know, I know when we first spoke, you had mentioned you're hoping to decide two weeks from now, does that still seem about right? Oftentimes it does. And and yeah, like, you know, if within reason, I think if, if they need a little more time to talk to family or, you know, something came up, like, cool. I, I agree. There are very few circumstances where like it really makes sense to have a super hard deadline. Maybe if there's one headcount, like, like Matt said, but, um, I honestly had no idea about this. Like I thought that like it's done at that point. That's my personal opinion. I, I also do think like, you know, there's something to be said for inertia from a recruiting perspective too. Like, um, I think recruiters want to keep the ball rolling, to be honest. Absolutely. You don't want it to drag on forever. Yeah. Like even it's the right person. You found this right person. You're like, great, let's get them in. Like they're going to be great for this role. You care about closing the role in some sense for the right person. But I, I think there should be mutual respect there it, absolutely. And, and transparency. Yeah. Well, because like, you know? I don't, and, it's not fair to you if I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. Like I'm dragging you along. That doesn't feel great either. It goes both ways. It's yeah. a two way street. I think what Zach just mentioned is the key. And I think the, any tip to any job seeker is transparency. Right. I think a lot of people feel like they have to keep things close to their chest. Uh, it's like this protected, like, I can't let you know who I'm talking to. I can't let you know what I'm interviewing for or anything like that. And to me, like the easiest transactions I've ever had are the ones where I can actually have a meaningful conversation, understand exactly where you're at, whether that be salary, whether that be who you're talking to, the positions you're being considered for. It just makes it so much easier. And and generally what I find of people who are reserved, I don't get them to open up until after I have a comp like discussion with them or like we give them an offer and they're like, oh, that's really low. It's like, well, you know, I kind of went in blind because you didn't tell me what you're making. And so like, let's have that chat now and like what's important to you or like if it goes on for like two and a half weeks or whatever and like we keep pushing it out it's like time to sit down and be like hey like i'm just curious like what is your main hesitation for signing this offer like there's something out there that like you you know hasn't checked that final box for you like i want to know what that is and like maybe it's risk or maybe it's growth or maybe it's career development like now you have that point and you can speak to it or maybe you can't and maybe it's like hey you know what like we can't offer that right now and like 
it's just not going to be the right opportunity for you. And like, and you have to be okay with walking away from that. And again, like big company recruiters, like that's, that's a sin. You just need to hit your offers, like small company. Like I don't want you there. Right. And so I think it's a, it's a big difference. The right question, I think with, with exploding offers, um, you know, there is only one case that I know of, and that's like, if there's two people for the job and, and the hard thing is just really discerning whether or not that's true, right? That's the hard thing. Like I, if I was the candidate on my end and said, there's one spot and I've been a victim like of this, like you need to come in now. Or I think what's a little bit more common in the Valley today is like, look, we might uh, <clears throat> raise here a little bit and that equity is going to go like, it's just, you know, Tommy wise and creating a sense of FOMO is like, uh, fear of missing out um, is a huge, you know, tactic. I think in a lot of rec- sales and recruiting organizations. So that's it's present there. Uh, but do I believe in exploding offers? No. And my advice to people listening out there is, uh, hey, uh, sit your own timeline, but also be respectful for it. Right? If you say, hey, I want to make a decision by September, like stick to it, right? Because and, and if you need more time, like be open and upfront about it, because nothing is worse when from a recruiting perspective is like. Uh, if I'm recruiting Zach and Zach and I tell everybody on the team, I tell my boss, I tell the founders, I'm putting my reputation on the line as a recruiter and that Zach's going to sign or I, he's making a decision in September and then it takes till November. And then it's not like, man, that is the most scary thing as a recruiter going like, I said one thing, but I didn't mean the, like it just it's a really tough thing. So, look, I think the uh, short and sweet answer is uh, you have power to set your own deadline uh and timeline uh but just be respectful about it and and be open so i think it could be helpful to be intentional about that up front if you have uh if you're considering multiple multiple companies you can kind of set the pace yourself with your recruiters when hopefully when you enter the process and, and maybe just say like hey talking to a few places i hope to wrap all my interviews up in the course of the next three weeks like i'd like another two weeks to think about everything and like i anticipate that i'll have a decision by the middle of november or whatever it is it goes back to that trust um, and just open conversation yeah i mean at, at the end of the day like i care about the people that i'm working with candidates i really do and i, I care about the company and like that i work with and, and i want to balance both of those things as best as i can and like i i think transparency and mutual respect is kind of at the core of this like we're willing to be reasonable just you know yeah, I think I just realized something. I think the really hard thing is that like we're probably uh, a small percentage, right? I, I think of companies that are think think this way. I think of a lot of people. Uh, I did some consulting back in like the Midwest and and like like the East and like just I, I think there's a lot of companies out there. Unfortunately, uh, we'll try to pull some of these things. So uh, retracting a little bit my advice here, everyone. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think just be be mindful and and uh, yeah. I, I've uh, like. Three, they're rapid fire questions. I know we're, we're like All right. way over. I know, but this is a good episode. All right, it's it good episode. All right uh, cover letters with resumes, yes or no? No. I can't tell you the last time I looked at a cover letter. I haven't looked at one in forever. No, probably not. Save the time. All right. Put it into your resume formatting. Yeah. yeah. Summaries on your, or abstracts or whatever on your resume. No. Nah. If they're succinct, maybe. Probably no. If I'm from the middle of nowhere, Georgia, how is the best chance of getting my profile seen by NFU three? Show up at my office. No, I please, 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 <laughs> please, please, do that. Stop, stop <laughs> please, please do not do that. Really? Well, I think AB qualified for the open role, yes. right? Uh, I, the, we've had so many people who have applied for certain roles. Uh, you know, it just comes in and then they go, Hey, can we turn this? Can we make the title like senior? You know, like data scientists, for example, like can we make the t- title senior data scientists? Like there's way too many junior people coming in here. It's like, 
yeah, it's not going to change like the flow, but like, I see what you mean. Right. So like, make sure you're reading the job description and you're qualified for it. Uh, be impact and ownership. Just like making sure you have a resume that like speaks out to me. Like, I don't care if you went to the best schools. Um, but like, if you can prove to me that you've carried impact ownership and you know what you're talking about, like we'll talk. All right. I got a question. Resume or LinkedIn? Do you need a resume? Oh, good question. I, I think this varies depending on the stage of the company, right. um, to be honest with you. I think at larger companies, um, your resume will carry through. And I could be wrong. This might be true of start, some startups too, but like your resume will carry through the entire process. A lot of interviewers will end up seeing it. And um, I've, I know of some smaller companies where that might not be the case. Like they depend on a recruiter or maybe the, in, the first interviewer to kind of get that out of the way. And the resume is not as important throughout the whole process. Um, TLDR, like I think it's more important for getting your foot in the door, but um, it can be worthwhile to invest in it for sure. I think LinkedIn profiles that have content as like what you did, what team you're on, things like that is incredibly important because every engineer who's going to interview you needs to know like kind of, yeah, the background and kind of like what, what you're doing. So we don't spend 10, 20 minutes on like, Hey, tell me about yourself. And like, you know, like breaking the ice a little bit. Um, and also, yeah, that's, that is kind of your qualifications. And like, you know, if I see just like a shell account, like, Hey, I think it's kind of fake. Cause a lot of other companies are doing that right now to like bait other recruiters, um, which is kind of an interesting tactic. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, they are. That is a gross <laughs> tactic. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, otherwise it's like, I, I don't know what you do. And so I can't a like do a meaningful reach out, but also like, I can't really use that. It's like, yeah, that's great that you worked at, you know, specific companies, but we just need to know what you do a little bit. Mm. And, that's fair. All right. And each episode, we like to share pics of things that we found interesting. Hopefully, you all have had time to think of some interesting things to share with our listeners. Let's go around and share pics for today's episode. Well, I'm going to steal a page of Zach's book, Elaine Lerner's blog. Yeah, it's a great blog. There's some straight She's gold awesome. in there. Yeah, I would definitely check that out. Uh, you can spend hours in there. There's a lot of good stuff. Awesome. It's the interviewing.io blog? Yeah. A couple things that I really like. Um, the Y Combinator podcast just went live on Spotify. There are some really, really great episodes there. If you're curious about hiring in particular, the first episode is with a guy named Amon, who's one of the co-founders at TripleByte. And there's some super interesting insights, um, more about like interview processes and things, but great podcast. Um, I learned the other day there's a programming language called Rockstar, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> so if somebody's looking for a Rockstar dev, you can now be a Rockstar dev. For my own personal interest, uh, Andreessen Horowitz has this really cool... Uh, reference called the crypto canon. If you're at all interested in blockchain and cryptocurrency, there's like an enormous, really fascinating list of what's happening in the cryptocurrency space. And so um, I'm biased in that way, but check it out if you like crypto. Very cool. Two picks <laughs> for tonight. Um, the first one is called, uh, it doesn't really have like an official name, just package dependencies, but it's a, it's a visualization that Mike Bostock did, who's the founder of Observable and the creator of D3. He worked at New York Times Graphics as well. Um, this particular site, um, essentially visualizes your transitive dependencies of any package that you have in NPM. Um, it's, it's just kind of a cool thing to see like how complex the thing you're working with is and how many like things it depends on. And, uh, I guess you can like look Look at that through your node modules directory, but it's cool to see a visual of that. And then the second pick is uh, a song pick. Uh, it's called Somewhere Else by Elsa Hewitt. Um, it's sort of a trip hoppy, uh, tons of samples, really interesting to listen to with your headphones on. Uh, I've been really enjoying that uh, while I code. Jim, what do you have? I'll say I have two picks today. Uh, the first one is a node package called NDB, uh, No Debugger. It is fantastic. So 
Um, if you ever try to debug node, you know, it's like one process, blah, blah, blah. It really sucks, especially when you're running like multi-process node. Uh, NDB will show all of your processes and you can have breakpoints on each one of those. And it opens its own uh, Chrome inspector, which is, it's it's way, way better than standard uh, node debugger. Fantastic. Uh, second one is a song by a band that you probably will all know um, called Godspeed You Black Emperor, if you ever heard of it. Um, yeah, the the song East Hastings, which is, is fantastic, it's from 28 Days Later. Um, it's so good that Danny Boyle, the director, one of my favorite directors, he was like, I cannot make this movie without putting this song in the movie. Um, but some of their other stuff is really solid too. So if you've never checked that out, it's worth doing. I don't have a Valley Silicon pick because, um, you know. People are going to be upset. I know. I'm upset. Right. I wanted right. to hear it. It's fair. I can make something up. We're like, just, no, we're <laughs> just going to expect a really good one next up. I'll have two for next time. All right. Chris, what do you have for us? Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I, uh, I screenshotted a, f- uh, a close friend of ours. Uh, in the group, uh, I just found out he left his job at a uh, well-known tech company, and then he turned around and started recruiting uh, all of us at the same time. And uh, I realized, like, even though, hey, we're recruiters and we do it for a job, I think there's a lot of room to be improved, even amongst the people I respect. <laughs> He's, he's going to flip out when he hears this. <laughs> Love this pick. Yeah. All right. So I have two picks. Jem, Mars, and I just got back from React Rally, which is a conference in Salt Lake City. We decided to film a little video of us traveling to React Rally, spending time at React Rally, and traveling back home. So I'm going to share the front-end happy hour React Rally video. And my second pick is actually a music pick of a album of a speaker from React Rally, which is Ken Wheeler has, <laughs> if you know who Ken Wheeler oh. is, yes, he has made his own album. It's actually amazing. What genre? Yeah, it, it's like, it's a techno-y like 80s vibe. It's really good actually. Sorry, Ken, it, it is very good. But the, the best thing is, is the album is called Love Songs for Your Mother, but not his mother everyone else's mother. <laughs> um, so it is on Spotify. I thought that was pretty good. He literally shared this at his keynote at 9 a.m. in the morning after the you know night of karaoke and the suit. night before wearing a suit. He's talking about this love songs for your mother. So I was like, I got to share this pick. Like more people need to listen to this album. <laughs> All right, before we end the episode, I want to thank Matt, Zach, and Chris for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure having you all join us with so much knowledge, so much great knowledge. Where thank can people, uh, well, thank you for oh. coming. Yes, cheers. cheers. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can they send spam to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do not have a Twitter profile, which might what? throw off some recruiters. You work in Silicon Valley. Right? I know, I know. Um, where can you find me then? LinkedIn. Matt, Matt at yeah. shift.com. Yeah, you can actually find me at Matt at shift.com. Oh. <laughs> Solid guess. Um, and then we also have, I mean, my LinkedIn profile. I think I'm mstevenson325, but you could also look up Matt at shift on LinkedIn. You're the first person to ever say oh, their the LinkedIn profile. first person that was Matt. Not, like, not ironically. Uh, my Twitter handle is Zorkary, Z-O-R-K-A-R-Y, which is a weird spin on my name, Zachary. I'm a bit of a lurker, but that may change. So feel free to shoot me a follow. Uh, my email is Zach at zero X project.com number zero letter X project.com. I think I have a Twitter account. I think I have one, but it has to follow an engine manager's post on applied. So I don't know what it is right now. Uh, <laughs> I will just say my email. It's uh, C Ossing, A H S I N G, just like it's uh, sound. We sing, I sing, we all sing for Ossing. <laughs> Uh, at plaid so that's seahossing at plaid.com uh shoot me a line
Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front End Happy Hour Podcasts on whatever you like to choose to listen to podcasts on. And follow us on our Twitter account at FrontEndHH. Any last words? I'm about to follow you now. <laughs> <laughs>